Turn our Bibles to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, and uh, you guys can follow along, but uh, we'll be reading verses 16 to 21. Once we're all there, I'll just read. And when even was now come, his disciples went down unto the sea. And entered into a ship, and went over the sea towards Capernaum. And it was now dark, and Jesus was not come to them. And the sea arose by reason of great wind that blew, so that when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea, and they, and drawing nigh unto the ship, and they were afraid. But he saith unto them, It is I, be not afraid. Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. Um, before I start, I'm just going to pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this opportunity that you've given to me to preach, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you'd speak through me, Lord, and just uh, give me the right words to say, Lord. I pray, Lord, for the rest of the guys tonight as well, Lord, that you'd be with them, uh, that you'd bless them, Lord, and that you'd uh, just uh, prepare them, Lord, and that you'd uh, speak through them as well. I pray for all these things in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, going into college, I knew things were going to be a bit different from high school. I knew it was going to be harder, it was going to take a lot more time, it was going to take a lot more effort, right? Um, even mentally preparing myself all throughout the summer, uh, I still underestimated how much work we were expected to do. Um, and I... I, uh, I learned this over, over the course of the few months I was at college. Um, the first few weeks, though, I kind of, it kind of threw me off. It was the easiest thing ever, honestly. Um, I mean, why would I expect a large workload in the first few weeks, right? But it kind of threw me off because it was even easier than high school, uh, for the first month, actually. Um, but once that honeymoon phase, quote-unquote, wore off, the grind became real. Uh, work piled up, and quickly. I found myself staying at school um, past dark, like up to 9 to 10 p.m., or 8 to 9 p.m., uh, staying at school doing work, because I knew if once I got home, I would class right on my bed. I wouldn't do any work once I got home. So I spent all my time at school doing work, and... Uh, because I had a lot of work to do. And the only reason why I went home, really, uh, was to eat and to sleep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all this to say, this was just a fraction of my stress. The other half came from finals week, <laughs> oddly enough. Finals week stressed me out so much, uh, I never understood how terrifying a piece of paper could be until I walked into the lecture hall with the exam paper right in front of me. Each exam I wrote was terrifying. It was, I was underprepared. I, I studied, yes, but I could have been more prepared, if I had to be honest, and I was underslept. I, hadn't, I most likely haven't gotten enough sleep within that week studying. It was scary, to say the least. 
Now, let's turn our attention to the passage we read earlier. The disciples went, uh, we can see the disciples here. They went to the sea to sail to Capernaum after Jesus' sermon on the mount. Now, Jesus was not with them by the time they got on the ship as he went to pray on the mountain by himself. They sailed until they saw a strange figure walking on the sea, described in Matthew chapter 14, verse 26, to look like a spirit. Now, I like to think that they were probably scared out of their minds, as they probably haven't seen anything like that before. A random figure on the sea walking towards you probably isn't something that you'd expect uh, if you're out sailing, right? It kind of reminds me of when I was younger. I'd be so scared uh, being in the dark. Um, I remember each time I would want a glass of water, I'd go downstairs, I would grab my glass of water, and as I turned off the lights, I would run back up the stairs because I, I was terrified of what was behind me. And many times I would get scared by this silhouette that, that would be in the darkness that later I discovered to be a coat rack. I was scared of a coat rack, oddly enough. I'm sure many of us here have, that, have had that same experience. But little did they know that that figure, that spirit-like uh, figure, was Jesus. He says here, but he, but he saith unto them, it is I, be not afraid. In the midst of all the terror, in the midst of the waves crashing, the wind blowing, it was Jesus. He was there all along. There was nothing to be scared of. Sometimes in life, we can be scared. Scary situations might arise. It could be financial, physical, emotional. It might seem as if there's no way out of this situation, of this uh, conundrum. But in the midst of all this terror, Jesus is there with us. Through every trial, through every tribulation, through every scary time, he's with us. Through every final exam I wrote over those two weeks, I was scared. Realizing, it, re- realizing that, I made it a regular practice to pray before I started writing. For every exam I wrote, I was well, somewhat calm, and I was able to get through it through, uh, through God's power. Now, maybe some of you here might be going through something larger than than an exam. Whatever it may be, God will be with you through every step of the way. Now, let's turn our attention to Matthew chapter 14. That's uh, a parallel passage telling a different perspective. Matthew chapter 14 and verses 28 to 33. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he had saw that the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And, and immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? 
And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. And then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, of, of, thou, of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Now, if we look at this passage, we can see that Peter had a sudden burst of faith as he steps on the water. Through the crashing waves and the blasting winds, he's able to walk on the water with Jesus, but only for a brief moment. I can imagine him, he's, he, he wants to see if this is Jesus or not, so he, he says nervously, oh, can I, can I join you? Can I walk on the water with you if you're really Jesus? And of course, Jesus invites him, and he walks on the water, and he keeps his eyes focused on Jesus. But he, he starts to notice around him, oh, wow, it's really shaky. It's, the, the wind is blowing. The, the waves are crashing against the ship. The, the ship is rocking. What, what's going to happen to my friends? So he, he, he gets his eyes off of Jesus, causing him to fall into the water. Now, the main point I'm trying to make is we should keep our eyes on Jesus, both on the good days and especially the bad. He is the only one that keeps, that, that'll lead us through our struggles. But it's honestly easier said than done. Sometimes we'll look at other things like, uh, like food or, uh, or, or overworking or money or all, all these things that the world has to offer. It's easy to look on the things of the world. And it's, all, it, and it's especially easy to think that no one can help us. But God will always pick us back up, just like Jesus did with Peter. Through the tough and scary times, God will always be there with us. We should keep our eyes on God and let him handle the turmoil around us. He'll get us through. We just have to trust him. Thank you, Andre, for that wonderful message. Um, I'd like you guys to turn to Ezekiel 36, 26. Ezekiel 36, 26. So we're, we're almost at 2024. It's crazy. Uh, New Year's is just in a couple hours. Um, it feels like 2023 just flew by. And one of my favorite things, like one of my favorite holidays is actually New Year's. And it's not just for the extra few days that we get off school or work, but it's for what we all probably know as New Year's resolutions. And I, I like to plan New Year's resolutions for myself. I can't really think of any on top of my head. Give me like another week for that. But um, one thing that I can think of is that I want to go, I want to do or try something once every, something new every month. Although I feel like I wanted to go for a week, but I feel like it's too much for me. <laughs> so we all know news resolutions, but one thing that, even though I enjoyed a lot, one thing that really bothers me, kind of a pet peeve actually, is people who say they're going to do it, and then a week later they stop doing it. Now, the question is, why do people give up so easily? And the easiest answer I can give is that two things, discouragement and inconsistency. As humans, we have a common desire 
to change, but as humans, we also have a lack of encouragement from others and ourselves, as well as no desire to, con to stay consistent. Likewise can be said for our walk with God too. I'd like to bring up four points about commi commitment to just decisions made to yourself and to God. Uh, but before that, let's uh, pray first. Only Father, thank you for today. Thank you for just allowing everyone here to just have a chance to come together before the New Year's. And I just pray that you'll uh, uh, work in me as I preach your word, and I pray that people will be able to get something out of it. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. So if we turn back to Ezekiel 36, 26, um, I'll be jumping around between multiple verses, so you can, you don't have to turn to all of them. This is the only one you have to turn, so uh, let's read this all together. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. As I stated earlier, humans have a common desire to change, whether it be relationships, beliefs, habits, attitudes, and even spiritual growth. We always want to be able to do better or better ourselves when we lack in it. The desire of change comes through self-reflection, and we reflect on ourselves not only because it's in our nature, but because it's also God-given. Psalms chapter 139, 23-24 states, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Going back to Ezekiel, we see it, we see it talking about the illustration of having a stony heart in our flesh, and how God promises to give us a new spirit and a new heart. This shows God's desire for us to change, and it also shows that it aligns with his desire for us to change as well. It is important to remember that God sees your potential, not just your past. Take example for Gideon. His fear caused him to hide in a hole from the Midianites, yet despise that, he, God was able to use him for his glory because God saw potential in him. Over, and he saw it over his fleeing and hiding away from everything. Now this leads me to my second point, which is the discouragement of man. While humans have their nature wanting to change, unfortunately we also carry the nature of easily being discouraged, which can eventually lead to no desire to stay consistent. Many view life as a, a timeline of just disappointment, with hope just sprinkled occasionally. However, this is a very bleak view of life, and while we shouldn't believe that, we struggle to think otherwise. Going back to Psalms in chapter 34, 17 to 18, it states, the righteous cry, and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. One thing that we all share in common is that we will face some sort of trial or tribulation in our lives, some more than others, but God promises that those who cry out to him with their troubles will be, will be delivered out of their troubles. And not only that, but that he will be able to still use them, even if their broken heart is broken. Now, I've had my fair share of brokenheartedness this past year. And without going through too much detail, that brokenheartedness has caused me to break many decisions I want to uphold this year, both in my personal and spiritual life. However, there's one struggle that I am still personally working on, which also leads to my third point, the danger of bitterness. Bitterness is like a virus. Once you catch it, 
you become indulged in it. And if you're not careful, it can spread to others really quickly. It can be caught anywhere. Even the smallest amounts of bitterness can lead to something bigger than yourself. Not only does it allow you to harbor such anger and resentment and even unforgiveness, but it also makes you view it as acceptable. When you let bitterness fester in us, it creates a ripple effect on our relationships with our family, friends, leaders. Bitterness is the root of all stagnation. However, it is not a stagnant emotion because it carries on through new people. Looking at Ephesians chapter 4, 31 to 32, it states, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderheartedness, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. We live in a very bitter world. Just like sin, it has festered, and, and it's just a festered amongst the populace. The verse emphasizes a key point that many try to ignore, and that's the biblical command to forgive. It states that if you forgive others for their wrongdoings, God will also forgive you for your wrongdoings. However, if you don't forgive others for their wrongdoings, God will not forgive you for your wrongdoings. It is important to mention that one big misconception about forgiveness is forgiving and not condoning. Because biblical forgiveness is forgiving that is not condoning the wrong, but is releasing the hole that it has in our hearts. It is commanded that we let go of bitterness and choose to forgive, even when it's difficult, or even if we believe others or yourself don't believe it or deserve it. Being free from bitterness not only gets rid of stagnation when it comes to decisions, but it also gives you freedom. I know I may have strayed off from the original message a bit, but it's very important to cover this topic, as bitterness to yourself or to others is a big reason why people don't commit to their decisions. Now, my last point might be the hardest to, go, to conquer, but it's also because it's the most rewarding, and that is the devotedness to consistency. Now, just for a moment, question yourself. What is a decision that you made to yourself that you wanted to commit to? This can be spiritual, self-improvement, anything. I'll give you a moment. Now look back to yourself when you first made that decision. And now look at yourself. How much have you changed from that decision? The importance of self-awareness and discernment is a key to, to the journey of uh, decisions. Being self-aware and having discernment helps you recognize whether or not your actions align with God's will for your life. The desire to change and the ability to refrain from discouragement and inconsistency is only the beginning to your journey of growth. You must not feel the need to grow, but rather, you must feel the, the, the devotion to grow. And to be consistent requires daily dedication. As simple as it is, praying, doing daily devotions, and regular church attendance can do wonders in your spiritual life. However, before all of that, the most important decision in your life is whether or not you have accepted Christ as your Savior. And if you haven't, I encourage you to pray about it. Talk to a spiritual leader about it, or someone that you trust that is a follower of God. And if you have, continue to grow alongside God, as there's always room for growth. Thank you. Uh, please turn your Bibles with me to Matthew 7, verse 7. Quickly, before I uh, get on with this verse, um, something funny that happened while I was making this sermon 
um, my mom asked me, hey, which verses are you using for your sermon? I said, I'm using Matthew 7, 7. And she's like, oh, really? Well, I actually gave a devil at that at a ladies' event once. So hopefully that isn't, I didn't make the exact same sermon, but um, all right, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. And it says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. And I'll just open up quickly in a word of prayer. <clears throat> Dear Lord, I'd just like to thank you for gathering all these people here on New Year's Eve to uh, hear your message. I pray that you speak through me and allow this message to touch the hearts of all the people here, Lord. I pray for everyone, or I pray for all the young adults and teens that are going up to uh, preach uh, today, this evening, Lord, that you just uh, help them overcome their nervousness and uh, allow them to deliver a good message, Lord. Uh, and I just pray for everyone here. You continue to bless them and guide them. In your name I pray, amen. Um, straight off the bat, we can see that in Matthew 7, 7, there are three main points that we can instantly catch, which is asking, seeking and knocking. And this verse directly connects to uh, our life in prayer. And as Christians, we are assigned to be strong in prayer and to depend on prayer often. Uh, as it is our direct uh, way to communicate with the Lord. Uh, So, if anyone is taking notes here today, my first point is ask. Ask and it shall be given you. Uh, when, when this verse uses the word ask, it means to ask the Lord or bring your request to the Lord. Uh, in the Bible, we can see that in 1 Kings chapter 3, King Solomon was just newly anointed king of it, over the nation of Israel. And we see that I'll just, I'll just read the verse real quick. Give therefore, in, okay, 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 9. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge thy, this thy so great a people? Now, as we can see, Solomon is obviously shaken by being the new king of Israel. And uh, we see that he approaches God in prayer with Humility, knowing that he would not be able to rule over this nation alone by himself. So he goes to God and asks for wisdom. And due to the nature of Solomon's prayer, uh, it seems that God had, had granted his uh, request. And we see that Solomon is able to use this wisdom uh, throughout his reign. Now, in our case, as uh, growing Christians... We should depend on God to grant us with the things that we um, may, may desire, whether that be maybe to grow spiritually, maybe for hmm. well, to grow spiritually, what, what else I can't think of anything right now, sorry, I'm stuck. But you get you get the gist. Um now, the reason we should be encouraged, 
encouraged to uh, go to the Lord because he can provide for us according to his perfect will for us. And so, obviously, I don't, if I prayed for God to give me $1 billion right now, maybe he wouldn't answer that because it doesn't align with his perfect plan for us. Which brings me on to my second point. Seek. Now, by seek, seek and you shall find, we are encouraged to seek God's perfect will for us through prayer. And this could be connected through requesting God's will for us. We can see in uh, Psalms 25, King David uh, is is able to be seen in prayer, um, thanking the Lord and uh, asking for protection and also at the same time asking to understand God's will for him. And I'll just read these couple of verses, verse 4 and verse 5. Show me thy ways, O Lord, teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. And... Though it doesn't direct, though King David does not directly say uh, or ask God to show him his will for him, but we can see that David has a desire to uh, follow the Lord and to obey what he has set for him. Whether, but we, yeah, that is shown through a desire of wanting to be, to learn about God and be more like him. And in our cases, uh, as Christians today, we are encouraged in the Bible to understand the Lord's will for us. Uh, this can be seen in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. If we surrender to the Lord, then he will be able to grant us with a, with a glorious life that uh, gives him glory at the same time. Now, I'm still pretty young. I'm turning 18 soon, but... Going into my early teens and even until now, there have been a lot of times where my mom would give me advice on things. And being a teen, a younger teen, hormones kicking and everything, um, I oftentimes would brush off the, this advice that my mom would give me. And whether that be like, hey, you shouldn't be going out at this time, or no, don't put raw eggs into your smoothie. <laughs> um, oftentimes, I, uh, I, get, I, I suffer the consequences because I uh, discern my mom's advice towards me. And in that same sense as Christians, we should always follow the Lord's calling because he knows more than us and he knows everything that will... He knows everything... He can do everything. Just, he's just an all-powerful God. 
And my third point is knock, and it shall knock. The term knock is often referred to when knocking on maybe a door, and that noise can be used to uh, display a consistent, a consistent sound. And in this verse, uh, at least, it can be connected to being consistent in prayer. And recently, or first off, in the Bible we can see there are quite a bit of characters that do show consistent, a consistent prayer life and one that is powerful. But one that can be noted is uh, the prayer life of the Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, oftentimes, or throughout the New Testament Gospels, we can see that Christ oftentimes finds opportunities to pray, whether, and oftentimes he also does pray by himself in a secluded area where he has no one to bother him or no distraction. Um, and this is something that we should all look up to, obviously, being Jesus Christ, we should try and live in his image. But there was also a, uh, a teen, uh, what's it called? teen class, a midweek teen class, when me and uh, the West Coast students got back, the first message uh, was preached by Pastor Ivan about how to be a consistent Christian. And we went over some five main principles, or four, and one of those things being prayer. And being, being strong in all of these will lead you to immense spiritual growth. And just connecting that to my sermon, prayer, consistent prayer does lead to spiritual growth. And in a, in a sense, that can be applied to various things. Um, for example, in my, in my own experience, I guess, uh, recent or about for a couple of years now, I've been exercising and participating in physical activity, uh, weightlifting. And the most, one of the most important things to note about building muscle is that it requires consistency over time. And if you choose to be consistent, you will eventually gain muscle. But if you lose the consistency, then you're going to lose muscle. And in that same sense, we should always aim to be, cons aim to be consistent and stay consistent in prayer to you know, get that sig significant growth over time. And my last point is the assurance of God's response. Looking back at Matthew 7.7, 7, we can see that after every term, ask, seek, knock, there is a phrase that reassures us of an answer. We have ask, and it, will be, it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be open unto you. So, just a key takeaway is to be thankful in answered prayer. Continue to be, stay faithful in unanswered prayer, as the Lord will eventually answer, your, answer to your faithfulness. And just one small challenge for the new year is to stay consistent or 
use these three principles to uh, help you grow in prayer. We still have a lot of room to grow, especially myself. I mean, I only recently started praying frequently, maybe during my semester at West Coast. And we can see prayer can be used for many things. Andre uses prayer to overcome his fear of his finals. I use prayer oftentimes for protection. And there's just an endless list of things that you can do with prayer. And I just like to think about it as whenever I pray, it's as if God is now standing beside me. And yeah, that's all. <laughs> Thank you. Feels like it's been a while that, um, aside from you know the song leading and stuff, but it feels like it's been a while since I've uh, stood here behind the pulpit um, to give uh, a message. But if you can turn your Bibles to John chapter 11, and my message connects a little bit to Leland's message because this is someone, I'm, talking, I'm going to talk about someone who sought the Lord Jesus in John chapter 11, and I'm just going to read verse 20, and you can read along with me from verse 20 to verse 22. The Bible says, Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. So, just for a background of the story, Mary and Martha, and I'm going to talk about Martha here, Martha's side. Martha, who were friends of Jesus, told Jesus, they told Jesus of the news that their brother Lazarus was sick. Eventually, Lazarus would die of this sickness, and Jesus would arrive to see Lazarus, but he had been dead for four days. Now, Jesus knew full well of the situation at hand, that Lazarus was indeed dead, and also the outcome of this. But Mary and Martha had no idea of the future or the outcome because they were human, pretty understandable. And today we're going to look at Martha's response to this situation, this impossible situation. What's going to happen now? She was probably grieving. Just imagine how she is right now. Put yourself in Martha's shoes. Okay? She and her sister called out to Jesus because they believed in Jesus' power from God to heal Lazarus. And they waited until they thought, uh, they waited until they thought it was too late, because now Martha's brother was in the grave for four days at this point in the story. This is where Martha was, and also her sister. They were in an impossible situation. So what was Martha's first response? As we see in verse 21, if you look down there, verse 21, Martha's first response to Jesus was that of disappointment in Jesus. As she stated, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. And Martha was disappointed at the fact that Jesus was four days late. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the song, Four Days Late. It's one of my favorites. And it tells of the story. 
of, of Lazarus and Mary and Martha and how Jesus did his miracle. But Jesus was four days late, and this was a problem. Maybe she even knew of the fact, if you look at verse 6, maybe she even knew of the fact that Jesus stayed two more days in another place, even after hearing about Lazarus' sickness. It says in verse 6, When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. And at this point, Martha would not have fathomed the fact that Jesus was able to conquer not only disease, but death itself. And she did not yet understand that Jesus was someone who could raise another person from the dead because he is God. Thus, she was uh, disappointed. So, Martha was disappointed. But, number two, despite this disappointment, Martha displayed her faith. What does it say in verse 22? But I know that even now, Whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. So, in Martha's perspective, as we look again, this was an impossible situation. As she hasn't seen or heard of anyone come back from the dead after four days. Even for us, I don't think anyone in modern day um, we can think of being coming back to life after four days. I don't think I've heard of anyone aside from you know, the Lord Jesus. So, she called out to Jesus, leaving this impossible situation in his hands. That's what the verse 22 is indicating. She did not have the courage to ask Jesus to raise Lazarus from the dead outright, but she left the situation in Christ's consideration. She trusted Jesus enough to say, but I know that even now, even now in this impossible situation, Martha left the situation and the outcome in Jesus' hands. She didn't know the answer, but she knew who had the answers. It's like, it's like uh, in Sunday school, it's like not knowing what the Bible verse is, but we, as long as we know the, the Bible reference, we can get there. And later on in the chapter, we know the story. Jesus performs one of his most famous Miracles, the Bible says he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus, who was supposed to be rotting in his grave, putrefying, smell, he was given new life in Christ and he came forth from the grave. So, personally, if I were to relate to Martha, I can't think of a specific time that stands out while I was preparing the sermon a specific time where I had been disappointed in God, like Martha was, for God not coming through in an impossible situation, or so she thought. I can only think of many times where I had been a disappointment to God, but God was still merciful and gracious to me, keeping me alive and healthy with a new new career and a complete family and a Bible-believing church. Perhaps, I don't know, maybe my faith isn't as strong as Martha's and that impossible situation for me hasn't come yet. But maybe some in this auditorium may relate to Martha in some way currently or in the near future or maybe in past trials. Maybe you have called out to God, but God seemed silent. Maybe 
you waited and prayed patiently, relying on his promises. And maybe you are displaying your faith outright to God. And it may not be perfect faith, but you're leaning on him the best you know how. Well, be encouraged and know that Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So, when we encounter an impossible situation, we must diligently seek Christ, and we will receive a reward. In Martha's case, what was that? Jesus, Jesus raised Lazarus back to life. I know in Christian circles, it has become a running joke. And maybe there's a question in Sunday school where we don't know the answer. And then somebody raises their hand and jest. Oh, <laughs> Jesus is the answer. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but it's not a joke. You might find yourself in an impossible situation one day and discover that, hey, Jesus is the answer. So to close, like Martha, we must first see Christ, lay our disappointments, our burdens, our laments, our impossible situations at his feet, and choose to trust him, in him, even now. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.